I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like It Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And I've got a secret to tell you. Do you want to know what the secret is? Well, it wouldn't be a secret anymore. So you don't want to know what the secret is? Fine. Okay, let's go to the news. That was fun. Lame. No, I think Jason wants to know. Just ruin it for us, Brian. Here, I'll cover my ears. When I was a little kid, I used to line my bed with all my stuffed animals to protect me from the boogeyman. Did it work? It does not surprise me. No, I, I it, no, it didn't. I was going to bring that up last episode, you know, when we covered Dead Silence, but I figured the whole Silent Bob thing, Parallel Universe, was funnier. Apparently I was right, because this whole thing right here has gone over like a lead brick. Do they make lead bricks? Can you guys hang your feet over the edge of the bed, like when you're sleeping? No. Like I do sometimes. I do sometimes, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. I do it a lot, and my wife gets on me. It doesn't bother me anymore. I know it used to, but. So your wife gets on you in bed? Yeah. That sounds like a marriage. Yeah. And, yeah, she gets on me about stuff, too. But, yeah, play on words. Newsflash. So in the news, uh, we got uh, word of a new sorority babes at the Slime Bowl. Ballarama is coming. Part two. Director Brink Stevens is directing it. Going to be coming out from Full Moon um, Studios. So we've got a couple like snapshots of behind the scenes. And I think they released a little video of a behind the scenes thing. So it's going to be coming. I don't know when it's coming out, but that's exciting news. We're finally getting a part two coming. When I, I saw the, the picture of that in the first post and there was a blonde amongst the array of women there in the movie and the one looked just like a young Linnea, I thought I had a double take. I'm like, is that's not Linnea, is it? You know, and same with me. It's her doppelganger. Oh, should be fun. You know, full moon. They're no known for making great movies right up my alley. So it should be fun. <laughs> I know you'll be waiting for it. That we've we've talked about this a little bit, and I hope that we start seeing more of this stuff, where we start seeing these sequels to these B eighties movies, who not everybody has heard of, um, and explore those stories a little more. I'm sure some of them are cash grabs, but some of them there, there's some more story there to explore. I don't know what more story there is to explore at Sorority Girls at the Slime Bowlerama, but mm-hmm. I will be first in line to watch it for sure. Hell yeah! Well, and hopefully it brings some people back that haven't seen the original will go back and check it out because it's in the news again, you know, with the new release and everything. Yeah. I'm just hoping that they have some of the old cast in it. I honestly now don't remember like who survived or (laughs) maybe that would be like a fun appearance or something, even in ghost or spirit form. Who knows? Hope they play with it and have fun. Linnea survived the original. And then there was, there was one of the the males in the movie. Cause I remember they wrote off, she was driving a motorcycle, and he was on the back. I can't remember who it was that survived with her, though. It wasn't Hal Havens, I don't think. Although I'd love to see Hal Havens in something again. It's been forever since I've seen him in something. Except for the you know thousandth time that I've watched Night of the Demons. All right, what do you got, Brian? So researchers claim to find a massive 50-foot megalodon 
and the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, they were flabbergasted after picking up what appeared to be a massive 50-foot shark on sea scanners underneath their boat. Um, there's an Instagram post. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's you know been making the news, making the waves, as people say, you know, amid the shark, shark scourge plaguing U.S. waters. So the it was actually a school of fish. So they say, but was it really? Was it really? Well, think of how much sea is unsearched. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some stuff down there. All I could think of is, you know, it's like, oh well, 2023 is here. Now we've got a megalodon. You know, the oh, it's 2022. <laughs> now it's killer bees, or you know, it's just great. What what's next? Jesus Christ, can we have some normality for a while? All right, Clint, you're up, buddy. So I am obviously a George Romero fan. Whenever I come across some George Romero news, I love to share it. And uh, Bloody Disgusting, which is one of my go-to for news exclusives, uh, posted an article that in the late 90s, 1997, George Romero was set to develop Night of the Living Dead, the series. Um, And of course, it's a project that we never saw. If you go, I'll share the link on our socials um, because it's it's interesting. You can go through and read some of the pages from the treatment. It was like a 27-page treatment. Why it never happened, I don't know. The article doesn't necessarily cover that. You know, this would have predated Walking Dead and predated the the, the zombie boom as we saw it. I, I, God, I wish this would have come out, you know, and why did this not come out? I'd love to know. But So we almost got a Night of the Living Dead television series. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, it just kind of predated everything. So if it was, if he had made that movie like this day and age where we do have shows on everything, we definitely would have gotten it. But I'm sure back then they were like, oh, a TV show based on, I don't know about that. And then back then thinking about who would pick it up, you know, there probably wasn't many cable channels back then. Probably just ABC, CBS, all that stuff. So, well, and I don't remember what year. The Resident Evil video game came out. I mean, it was right around then. And I mean, obviously Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2, which is my favorite, you know, the games were huge. So this all happened right around the same time. In fact, George was almost involved in some Resident Evil stuff. That's another article I came across that I'll save for the news on a later date. You know, we do know that George has a, a ton of work that just wasn't produced. In fact, um, you can pay a visit to the George A. Romero archival collection at the University of Pittsburgh library system. And it houses numerous works from him, including like unproduced screenplays, treatments, artwork, correspondence, props, posters. There's a lot of stuff that, that he did not do. I'm wondering if it's going to con- keep continuing to come to light. So what year did you say this was around, Clint? This was coming? 1997. I'll, again, I'll share the uh, share the article. And when you look at the article, you can go and scroll through. There's a few pages of um, basically kind of character descriptions of people who were going to be in this series. And then at the very bottom, Night of the Living Dead, the series, original treatment for a television series by George Romero. And then in 1997, and it says Sanibel Films, Inc., first draft, October 1997. So this would have been after the boom of like Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters and the Friday Thirteenth series. I think the Nightmare on Elm Street series was in there too in that time period in the late eighties. Yeah, mid mid to late eighties. Yeah, so it'd have been like ten years after that. So I don't feel like any of those shows did really well. 
they only lasted two or three. I think Tales from the Dark Side was like four seasons, and the others were all three or four seasons, all syndicated. That's kind of how I feel like this one would have been treated, like it would have been syndicated. It would have been on after The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and Xena, uh, the Warrior Princess. You know, like it would have been in that time frame with those kind of shows. So it would have been on like WGN or something, and maybe there just wasn't enough money for George to do it. You don't know. Maybe couldn't find anybody that wanted to syndicate it on WGN or didn't want it showing at 10 o'clock on NBC. I think that's that's more the, the case is I don't think that the mainstream, your NBCs, your CBS, or even your, your cable cable channels, then, <clears throat> excuse me, your USAs and your Foxes, they weren't ready for stuff like that yet. You know, so it kind of it was kind of ahead of its time where now, I mean, you know, you've got The Walking Dead and American Horror Story and, you know, all these streaming channels have this great content. Yeah, I think it was ahead of its time. The mainstream audience was still I'm not touching that. No way. Horror. Yeah, because Xena was 95, I think, or 96. And it was on for like six seasons. So it was it would have been out of the norm for syndicated shows at that time. I felt like it was more like I said, Xena the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And I think there was a couple more that were syndicated at that time that were more sci-fi fantasy, you know, not really horror wasn't mainstream at that time on syndicated TV. So we've learned that the money and the support probably wasn't there to get this project off the ground at the time. We've learned that Brian really likes Xena princess warrior. Um, And we've also learned that we don't necessarily have enough money to get some things off the ground that we want to. So why don't we go to Jason with the financial report so he can tell us what the hell is going on with our money. Good question. Same thing. Every time all these wonderful horror horror collectibles. I'm going to shock you this time. Really? Shock you. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm excited. It's massive. <laughs> That's what she said. Or <laughs> it didn't say. I don't. <laughs> she was talking about the thing under the bed that was going to grab your foot. Uh, you know, spooky season's coming up. I've been uh, stocking up on my horror, like not collectibles. Well, collectibles, but we've been kind of getting heavy into the horror village stuff, um, like the little houses and stuff that are made. And. The last few years, we've bought a couple of them, and then this year, we kind of went off the rails, bought four new ones, bought some pretty cool one, like the Isle of Spooky Jacks by Lee Max. It's a little, I don't know, it's a little island thing, and you can put water in it, and it smokes and fogs and all that stuff, but then we bought like four more houses, so I'm going to have to share those on for anybody who likes like the Lee Max Spooky Village. I know they're pretty popular. We've kind of gotten hot and heavy into those, so that's where a lot of my money's been going towards those. We keep, we just went to Michael's yesterday and I was like, oh, I was looking at him and my wife was like, no, we're done. So she kind of put her foot down there. So we bought quite a few of those. I bought a Kyoto Brothers um, autographed photo. I don't think I've ever been to a con where the Kyoto Brothers have been. So I went ahead and found one online and autographed, signed by all three of them, authenticated to add to my collection. I know there's a lot of hype going around about it. So I thought I better add one of those. And then uh, lastly, Again, with the Halloween props, I went to Home Depot. They had all of their Halloween props not even set up yet. This was, at the time, it was like September 7th or 8th or something like that. 
So they had big signs up. It was like Halloween stuff, not for sale until display up all this stuff. And I go back there. I'm like, oh, screw it. They have a one of the animatronics that I want, like up on the shelf that looks like it's for sale. So I just grab it and took it to self-checkout. And his name is Dean, the deathologist. He's like a bartender guy. I'm going to put him out in my bar area, leave him up year round. Is that is that his name or did you, like did you name him or is that what the name he came with? That's the name he came with. Like that's what it's called. Like on their website, you know, it's he's like a spooky skeleton bartender. He's freaking cool looking. Like like Dean Martin, because Dean Martin was always drunk. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually put him together yesterday morning and set him up in my living room, and uh, I set it kind of over by like my wife and daughter's room. So my wife came out and she was like, "Jesus, Jason." was so mad and then my daughter walked out and kind of jumped because somebody's just standing there he's like six foot tall it's he's cool looking so a few big purchases so that's where all my money's going <laughs> who's next i'm at a uh joe bob group surprise every week we have people that we recommend a movie to and they recommend a movie to you so i was recommended the town that dreaded sundown so i picked it up from shout factory because it was like twelve dollars to buy it have it on blu-ray or it was like four dollars to rent it so i was like well, i'll just buy it and wait for it and i watched that the other day that's always fun i love that movie i was like is this the prequel to friday 13th part one two because of the sack head is this jason's dad yeah i was like oh jason's dad gave him a sack to wear as a baby and he carried on the tradition you you have to wonder after after i watched that because of course that was based on a true case it, it you know was in the what mid to late or late 40s after world war ii and people were coming back from the war so you have to wonder if the concept of jason from friday the 13th part two was from that having the sack head and everything but that's what i kept thinking i was like this is and the kill with the trombone i was like what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> like so out of context but like from a 80s slasher so i got my uh vinegar syndrome shipment for the week and they were having a sale well, for the month. It feels like for the week, but for the month. So I picked up some stuff. Night Train to Terror, Grey Robbers, The Undertaker. This one looks like the best one. Sweet Sugar. This has a scantily clad lady on the front with a machete. Looks right up my alley. I'll share all those on social. <laughs> Haven't seen any of them. <laughs> Grave Robbers rings a bell. The Birds 2 with the slip cover. These are part of the subscriber. So The Birds 2. I didn't know there was a part 2. Yeah, that was, uh, what, mid to early to mid-90s, I think. And then this one looks like a couple of Westerns, Guns and Guts, and Hot Snake with the slipcover. Looks like Red Dead Redemption. It looked like a video game. <laughs> and then a box, little box set, Forgotten Giallo. We got Tropic of Cancer, Nine Guests for a Crime, and White Dress for Maryland. Not seen any of them. It'll probably be sealed for the next 20 years before I get to <laughs> Here's Here's the the winner for best one for the month. The Incredible Melting Man on 4K. I am jealous. Nice. And this beautiful slipcover. The backs, I like the back almost better. It's just simple. It's just the rocket ship taking off and the Melting Man walking. Haven't opened this one either, but it's beautiful. I'm sure it'll look amazing. I almost grabbed that ghoulish Gary Pullen print of the Incredible Melting Man when I got the uh, Night of the Comet and the Silent Night, Deadly Night. I wish I would have because it's it's yeah simple. It's a, it's a beautiful piece. Lots of new movies for me to watch. 
Now, I know you guys always talk about that incredible Melting Man, so I finally watched it. I don't know, three, four weeks ago. Let me say I three quarters watched it. And it just seemed like at the time it was dragging on and on and on. I was into it, but it, it kind of drug on and on and I lost interest and then not lost interest. I got tied up into other stuff and didn't go back. So I need to go back and watch. I probably only had 15, 20 minutes left. But, or no, I finished it. But I I finished it. But the last 15, 20 minutes was kind of because doesn't it end like with the airline or the janitor guy coming out and cleaning up the mess or something. So, but I, but honestly, the last like 20, 30 minutes, I was half ass watching it. But yeah, I got through it all. It wasn't bad. I wouldn't fault you or anybody who says that they don't like the movie because it, it is not, it is very slow paced. I think one of the reasons that I love it so much is I, I came across it when I think I was like eight years old. WGN on Saturdays used to do this Saturday Shocker, I think it was called. And they sh- they showed like, you know, two back-to-back horror flicks. And I would always sit down and watch them. And that's where I came across that. And, you know, for an eight-year-old kid, it was scary and gory. It was the first time I saw that that gore like that. It made me afraid to go near bushes because I was afraid <laughs> this melty man was going to come out and get me. So, yeah, it, no, it's, it's not the best movie, but it's so bad that it's really, really good. Yeah, that's the same memories I have have of it as as a young child watching it and it being one of the first horror movies I remember seeing. You know, it's kind of like going back and find if you're out shopping and you find a soda pop or a candy that you haven't had for 20 years that you got as a kid. And you're like, oh, I have such fond memories of this. And then you eat it and you're like, oh, it's awful. But I'm going to take like two packages home to keep eating. It's one of those that you could show maybe like a 10 year old now. As like an introduction to horror. To this day, whether I'm 10 years old, 44 years old, 102 years old, if there's a double bill of green slime and the incredible melting man, I am there front row. <laughs> All right, Clint. All right, is it my turn? It, it's totally your turn. Are you guys ready to hear this? I don't think you are. Everybody lean in, really open your ears. This week, I got, I picked up, absolutely not a goddamn thing. Nothing. I have nothing. What? Nothing. I have picked up absolutely nothing. Weird. I kind of feel like I'm a little shaky, like I'm going through withdrawals. And it's it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily from a financial standpoint um, or anything like that. There has just been nothing that jumped out this week. And I haven't had a lot of time to go, every, yeah, I'll get bored and just sit down and do like a get on eBay and like tales from the dark side. You mentioned that earlier, something like that will pop in my head. I go, I wonder what they got for, you know, I'll just kind of start doing these deep searches and I usually come across stuff. I haven't had time to do that, but so yeah, I've got, I've got nothing. So I've got a little bit more money in my pocket than normal. Now, if there's something from, from my self-proclaimed vast collection that you guys have noticed, you'd like me to talk about, I will nothing new. So I hit spirit Halloween yesterday and they had two of the killer clown popcorn statues there. Boxes were great condition. The boxes were great condition. and But I knew that you had said, I almost called you for a second. And I'm like, no, he did say he got one. Didn't call you. They had those two Sam statues that I had to go and pick up immediately. So, you know, there's restocks out there. Maybe you'll find something else you have to have. I took that, you know, because I ordered the one offline and, um, or online. And, um, you know, I didn't have the display box. So when I took it back to the store physically, instead of shipping it, excuse me, my oldest went with me. I said, here, I'm, while I'm doing this, go see if they've got one over there. And yeah, she came back and she goes, here you go. And the box was pristine. And then, you know what my dumb ass did, though? 
Oh my God. So I put it behind the passenger seat on the way home. Now my oldest just went through driver's training and, and my, my middle bonus did too. So anyway, she's driving home. I'm in the passenger seat and I started to get a headache. And so I, I went to kick my seat back. And the second I did, I heard like a, you know, and I'm like, Oh no. So I you know, threw the seat forward. I'm like, after all this. And I did, I put the, the most minute little, little kind, not even a crinkle. I'd have to point it out to you. That's how small it is. I got lucky. But. <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have seen your face. That panic oh, yeah. set in. <laughs> Plus, I had a really bad headache because I was all pale anyway. It's just like, ah. <laughs> so, well, now that we know why, you know, these guys are poor, <laughs> this week I'm not. Why don't we go ahead and take it to a sponsor? In a cornfield just outside of Makokata, Iowa. Something is stirring. Something is coming back for more. And now, on with the show. Reverend Entertainment presents the Big Sky Monster Mash, Saturday, October 1st. This drive-in movie double feature event will showcase... Kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewer. Alligators in the sewer. Alligator. And Wolfman's got a My name is Warren. I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? Who are you? We're the Monster Squad. Join the Reverend Entertainment team for a night of film, vendors, a costume contest, giveaways, magic, and fun under the stars. Donations will be taken for this year's charity, Hercules Haven Farm Animal Sanctuary. The Big Sky Monster Mash will take place at the 61 Drive-In Theater, which is located at 1228 Highway 61 in Delmar, Iowa. Box office opens at 6 p.m. and the films roll at 8. Kick off October with Reverend Entertainment and the Big Sky Monster Mash. <laughs> For more information, visit ReverendEntertainment.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, Let's go to the movie. This week we're talking about the 2018 non-horror classic comedy, Overlord. Americans are not ready for war. Yet the countries of occupied Europe and Asia are looking to the troops of the United States to secure their freedom. Now a diverse and sometimes divided nation must build up forces large enough and strong enough to liberate millions. There's nothing funny about this movie. This is actually listed as, what is it? it? It was listed as action, horror, war. That's what it was. I thought this was a great choice for us. I remember watching it when it came out in 2018. And my only takeaway I remember is I was like, man, that was pretty good. And, you know, of course. We weren't into the podcast world then, so I, you know, I don't put much thought into it. Usually when somebody asks me about a movie, I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. 
I still catch myself doing that because somebody will ask me about something. My daughter asked me about a movie one time. And I was like, yeah, pretty good. She was like, yeah, there's that podcast uh, explanation for me. So she's even busting my balls about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Next time she does that, be like, look, if you want to link the explanation, go ahead and give Clint a call. He's got two and a half, three pages of notes. He'll tell you everything you want to know and then some. I don't even think my daughter's listened to the podcast, but who knows? So la- last night I shared a, a picture of the poster and, you know, said watching Overlord and said homework and Brian Clark chimed in. It was, we were, he dropped a couple comments on it, said he saw it in a theater by himself when it came out. And I was like, that's, that's sad that there weren't more people there to enjoy this film. But um, a comment he said basically sums up this whole movie from, from a horror lens. And he said, this movie is reanimator meets Saving Private Ryan. And I thought that that perfectly encapsulated this film. So is this the prequel to Reanimator? Well, now, if you go back and read the, I think it was H.P. Lovecraft, you know, the original, you know, the the short story Reanimator, this all started in World War II. I don't remember exactly where they were, where they were, Herbert West was stationed. Have you ever read the, read the story? It's, it's a short, I mean, it's a... I don't know, 20 pages, 30 pages. I haven't read it in forever. I don't remember. But yeah, that's where it all started. Herbert West was conducting experiments on on U.S. soldiers because he was there as a medic. So maybe, maybe. So yeah, we could tie this in. You know, Herbert West is in the U.S. military. He's sent to this village in France where there's battles going on and stumbles across this vial and gives it to a soldier and it reanimates him. And he realizes that it's, not up to par yet, you know, it's not stable, so he's got to do some work on it. Continues his experiments into the 80s. Get Reanimator, and Bride of Reanimator, and yeah, all those movies. Beyond Reanimator. You know what I, what I really loved about this film, though, was if you didn't know what you were watching, you wouldn't know that it had anything to do with with zombies or reanimation or monsters what i what i really enjoyed about the film was for the most part basically like the first three quarters of the movie it in my opinion it was like chaotic by design it had no algorithm i've seen it a few times and i'm watching it again last night just to refresh and i was like man the, the way there's all these tight shots and the actions is cut and bang like it was very unpredictable and it is it's not until about halfway through the movie where it kind of shifts gears and like, this is a monster flick. This is a zombie movie. This is the the Nazis conducting experiments on people, trying to make the thousand year soldiers, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I love the opening scene of the movie when they're, you know, in the airplane going to war. We get introduced to some of these characters. It kind of sets up the ones that you want to like, the ones that you really want to hate, like that kid with the New York accent. Really wanted to hate him. But yeah, just kind of you were there with them. Like they were on this plane, probably not much training because, I mean, they were drafted into the war back then and all of a sudden they're on a plane. The one guy says later in the movie, he said, yeah, three weeks ago I was cutting my front lawn and now I'm here and I don't know where the hell I am. So, yeah, you're with them as they're riding in on this plane, like all the other planes, all the other warships going into battle. It was pretty intense, I thought. It was. It was insane. It was complete chaos, especially... As the planes were starting to get shot down and they jump out. And then so yeah, the one character, he, you know, is, they show him falling through the sky amongst all these explosions and planes blowing up and people flying. It was just, and it's 360 and it's, yeah, it was a great shot. Yeah. Shit went down real quick. All the planes started going down and 
I like how they were talking about, they were like, oh, look at those ships down there, you know. I'm glad we're up here. And I instantly thought, I'm like, eh, that's a lot farther to fall, but I guess, you know, going into battle, though, you're, it's it's unpredictable. I would assume. I haven't been in a battle. I love what the, the sergeant, I, whatever, I don't know if he was a sergeant, a corporal, I don't really know the military ranks, but <clears throat> right as their plane started to get, you know, the, the motor exploded and they're starting to get shot of shit and all, you know, bullets are coming up through the floor and the guy's just standing there goes, didn't I tell you ladies, I'd show you a good time. <laughs> I love that. It was great. So this film takes place. It starts the day before D-Day and this plane full of soldiers, their job is to go to this town in France um, and take out a tower so that soldiers on D-Day can have air support as they raid the beach. And probably my favorite line of the movie is, and I don't know why it sticks with me, and I don't know exactly how it was said, but they put the tower on top of a church, knowing that if we were going to destroy that tower, we'd have to destroy that church. And one of the, I think it's the corporal that's on the plane at the beginning says, do you know why they put that tower on top of a church? And the kid, I don't remember if the kid says, doesn't say anything or doesn't answer him. And he says, because he doesn't have an answer. Yeah. He said, because they want to destroy everything that you love and cherish. Like, and they know that we would need to take that tower out and turn taking out that church. I was talking to Tiffany and I, we were talking about that. And I said, back then in France, I would imagine there probably wasn't a lot of taverns, hotels, you know, restaurants in a town. The church was the meeting point and probably the most important building in a village. So, you know, that's where they're going to take over and want destroyed. Yeah, in the village in this film, you could see it just by the landscape. The church was this massive cathedral, Gothic cathedral building up on a hill overlooking the village, which was very modest. I think it's where the uh, where, where this movie got its name, Overlord, too, because the, it was Operation Overlord was the Allied invasion of Nazi-occupied France via the English Channel where, you know, the beaches of Normandy are. And my grandpa was actually on, he was the first wave who hit the beach. And the first wave, I mean, their life expectancy was was zero to nil, you know, or whatever. And he was one of the few that survived. Thank God or I wouldn't be here, you know. He has this great story, though, where as he was running up the beach, he lost his Zippo, fell out. And he went back to get it because he said, there's no way no damn German's going to have my Zippo. And I, I, I have the Zippo. So it's pretty cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, my grandpa was stationed, I believe, as like a cook or a chef in uh, Austria. So my mom was actually born in Austria, but it was after the war. I don't know if he had any action or was over before the war, but yeah, they were stationed in Austria after the war, you know, to help rebuild all the damage that the Germans did. And my mom was actually born over there. It's an interesting time in history, and that was another thing I really liked about the movie and it, the opening you got the old-fashioned radio, you know, the news clips and everything, and you just kind of went in. That prepped me more than the first scene. I love that old-fashioned radio clips. Got me, like, pumped up for the movie. The the very first snippet is, the, you haven't even, like, it's just, I can't remember, was this Universal Pictures, Paramount, whatever. I mean, the, the, the opening visual you see is, like, the logo of the company who dis, uh, distributed this. And there's the the little kind of echoey audio snippet of Winston Churchill. Yeah, so it immediately puts you into that time. And then, of course, like you say, Brian, it goes into the the newscasts and all that. And 
Yeah, I was lucky enough. Jason, I know you said you saw it when it came out. I would imagine Clint saw it when he came out. I was lucky enough to be up visiting Jack, my son, up near Chicago when it came out. And we were like, let's go to the movies. They have a theater there that's got like 18 movies showing at a time. And we're like, oh, let's try this one. So we went and saw Overlord in the theater. And I think there was like us and maybe two other people. And we were just blown away by the movie in the theater. It's a different movie in a theater just because of the sound and the action and how big the screen is. It's still a great movie outside of the theater. Yeah, it was just a blast. We just had such a good time with the movie and the theater, you know, sharing it with Jack. You know, Brian Clark just said the same thing, like I was saying a few minutes ago, is he wonders if it was like just a, a poor marketing strategy or what. But I mean, you just said you were in an empty theater. He was in an empty theater. I did not see it in the theater. I saw it, you know, at home and it came out. But that's interesting what you say about it being a big experience. I remember when Saving Private Ryan came out, I worked at a video store and a lot of old guys were coming in and renting this movie. Uh, they were like, this was insane to see in the theater because it kind of put them back to where even if they weren't necessarily in World War II, these guys served in you know Vietnam or Korea or just Iraq, anything, you know, and they were like, you know, with the surround sound and the, the realism that transported them back to that place, which some of them weren't really happy about, but some of them appreciated the, the power of film to do that. And that's another thing I, I like about this movie is the sound design from the orchestrated music, building the tension throughout the whole flick to it just had great, great sound design. Clint, did you ever get into um, the Call of Duty Nazi Zombies, the game? No, a good buddy of mine always tried to get me to play. I did not. I think I tried to play once or twice, and there was just too much going on for me. I'm crazy into it. I still play to this day. I just like getting on by myself, though, playing a game, just playing as long as I can. And then when I'm bored of it, I turn it off. Like, there's nothing really to it anymore. You just see how long you can survive and... It's fun. I know there's Easter eggs and stuff with it, so they try to get more gameplay into it. Yeah, I just have fun getting in there, and you know, it's a good hour waste of time. And uh, you should try it out again sometime. We should all. I know we said that about the Friday the Thirteenth that we should get on and see if there's one that we all have or we could get pretty cheap and just play them. And I hopped on Friday the Thirteenth the other day. I, just, I happened to have like 20 minutes where I was like, I got 20 minutes of downtime, I had nothing to do. I was like, I'm gonna throw this on real quick, you know. And How'd it go? I actually couldn't get online. So I played offline. So the main captain guy in charge. So you see when everything's going down, the plane's going down, everybody's jumping out. He kind of sets it up to where the next guy in line, the guy who plays Ford, who is Wyatt Russell. He looks super familiar to me and Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell's son. So that's kind of cool. I got some horror lineage in this movie. He sets it up to where he's in charge. Like, you know, you take orders from him as if you were hearing my own sweet voice is what he says. And. Then you see they get on the ground and he's surrounded by a bunch of, you know, German soldiers and he's playing that cocky, you know, asshole because he, he, know, he, he knows he's done. He didn't want to give them any satisfaction. Just like, you know, it's like a big fuck you thing. And then Boyce's character wanted to go save him. But then you see Wyatt Russell come back in and like stop him. And he's like, no, he knows he's dead. Like it's, you know, there's nothing you could do to save him. And so it kind of sets up. So he's in charge going forward. What's crazy about that whole part when they when they hit the ground when, from then to when they get to the village, you know, people are getting shot and there's landmines and you see the visual of paratroopers hanging from trees who died as they were, you know, midair. All this carnage. But all I could think of was 
Charlie Brown Halloween, the Great Pumpkin. The scene when the scene when Snoopy, you know, is the Red Baron, and he's like traveling cross country in France, trying to you know down in the trenches, and there's gunfire going on. That's it's all I can think about. Snoopy. So your guy, the guy who played Eddie Munson, Joseph Quinn, is in this movie too. Is he? He is. I couldn't identify him. I was going through. I I was about you know a quarter of the way through when I was looking at the cast, and I'm like, oh, I'm like he's in it. I wonder who he is. It said his name in it, but then I I was like, I don't remember hearing that name. I don't remember. I wonder if he was because yeah, he doesn't stand out at all throughout the film. I wonder. I wonder if he was on the plane in the beginning because there were a couple soldiers that didn't make it past that scene that had speaking roles. I wonder if that was one of them. And then I didn't pay attention. I think I kind of looked it up after the kid stepped on the landmine and he was gone. And then I was like, was that him? It could have been somebody on a plane or anything like that. But I thought that was interesting. Guy who blew up in the landmine was black. So that wasn't him. Oh, was he? You're talking about the guy who, the guy who was talking about writing a book or whatever. There's another credited role. And that is, um, supposedly Meg Foster played Chloe's aunt. And I thought that was really weird. You know, Meg Foster, she was in, they live. She was in, um, what was she? Rob Zombie's thirty one. Yeah, they live is the one that stands out to me, and she was in some other stuff. But I don't even know why she would get the credit for that. I well, she should if she played the part. I'm just saying, like all you see is a snippet of her face all covered in makeup for ten seconds, and you hear her like in there, like coughing and doing that stuff. So maybe she provided the sound for that also. So that was her role, I guess. Yeah, I saw that too, and I was like, oh, I didn't remember seeing her, but right. I didn't look more into it. Go ahead, Brian. I cut you off. What were you going to say? Hell, I don't even remember now, but. <laughs> so they're shot down. You know, they kind of get back together. There's, what, four people left from their squadron. Yeah, four or five. Yeah. They, uh, they're they making their way to the village. One guy steps on the landmine. He's no longer with them. They get to the village. They Before they get to the village, they capture our next main person in the movie, who's a female. She's looting the soldiers that have died and she becomes like their ally her name's chloe she hates the russians too so i mean she was like oh okay these guys aren't russian germans that's what i meant oh Germans. we all hate the russians so yeah the russians were on our side in this war actually so they were good guys <laughs> at this part of the war or this time in american history or history in general the history of the world so she takes them back to the house you find out the aunt's sick. You don't really know what's going on with her. You don't really see her until later in the movie. And it sets up, just kind of sets the movie up. Like you said, Clint, you don't really know at this point what's going to happen. You think it's just a war movie. I think if you put this on, you kind of know that there's going to be some horror elements just from putting it on and looking into it and maybe reading the synopsis, but you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Probably the most horrifying thing of the movie is what you've just watched. You know, the plane getting shot down and bodies everywhere and landmines and all that stuff. The special effects was amazing. The sound work was amazing on it. And probably the coolest, I know you were talking about some of the people that were in it, kind of the coolest thing that I found maybe trivia-wise or just interesting, was that um, the character Boyce, which was the kind of the hero of the movie, the one guy's the New York accent, he just kind of does what needs to be done. The other guy that's taken lead, I think he took lead because he'd seen the most action. I kind of felt like the other guys hadn't seen a lot of action before. He was the explosive expert, but no, you're right, he did. He had he had more, more action, he had more experience. 
Yeah, because when the guy steps on the landmine, the other people are kind of like freaking out. And he's like, this is what you have to do. Put your bayonet in the ground, tap lightly. And he's like, well, how? the one guy's like, well, how light? And he's like, you'll know if it's too hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was, I mean, we say there's no comedy in the movie, but that was pretty funny. You're like, it got a giggle out of me. Voice, according to some of the information online, was actually a former member of the Triple Nickels which was a all-African-American paratrooper regiment during World War II. And I thought, that's like the coolest no. thing that I found about the movie. I don't know if he had a patch or how they would know that. You know, maybe he had a patch on during the show movie that I didn't see. But that's just super interesting to me that they're kind of bringing in some of that information and history into the movie. Well, and to build off what you're just saying, I saw when I was looking things up that this movie caught a little bit of flack for being historically inaccurate because mainly because of race. You know, they didn't, you know, care if the again, I, I don't know his rank, but the the head officer and the plane, they didn't care that he was black when chances are he probably wouldn't have been in that time. They just had people in the roles that they wanted to have in the roles, which I didn't give a shit either. I wasn't watching this film for historical accuracy. I was watching it for the, I don't know, we, we almost have this like a uh, romanticized fascination with Nazis slash occult experimental zombie mutilation stuff. And I want to know if that comes, it's got to come from somewhere. I wish I knew how accurate it, I mean, were, were Nazis actually performing these vile experiments on people back in World War II? Like, where did where did this... Because you see, what, Werewolf, Women of the SS, and American Horror Story, um, the second one where the, the Nazi doctors performing uh, experiments on patients. So like, where did this all come from? So, yeah, I, d I didn't care about the historical part, but... Well, I mean, and I've talked about the movie, The Men Under the Sun, and the experiments they were doing, and that's supposed to be historically accurate and some of the stuff they do in that movie doesn't lead itself to these kind of experiments where they're trying to reanimate people but i mean there's one part they put a guy in a chamber and they turn the pressure all the way up or all the way down i can't remember which but it's like you know how if you go down an ocean you the pressure is so high you like collapse on yourself and at one point in the movie they put somebody in a pressure chamber and they turn it i think it would be all the way up and his insides actually explode out of his rectum they're doing that kind of stuff japanese were during the war so i would imagine maybe not the experiments where they're reanimating people but they were probably going to the ends of whatever they could do to torture people and get people to talk just see how far they could push boundaries and i was thinking earlier they definitely did in this movie for sure i was thinking earlier when jason was talking about um playing the zombies on a playstation we played it on playstation you could play it on any platform but i was like do people in germany play call of duty and they're like let's get on and kill the nazis and it's like <laughs> probably they hate they they hate that time i'm sure you know yeah they hate that time but yeah like you also have to think that we're talking about our family being part of the invasion of part of the world their family had to be part of the people that were fighting against America in that war. You know, is it like, oh, my grandpa was Nazi. I'm going to get on zombies and kill him. You know, he was an asshole. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that as a whole, they they denounce that whole thing. It's like saying that since I'm predominantly Scottish, I'm drunk and angry all the time, you know. Angry, but not drunk. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not drunk. What do you mean? What the fuck are you talking about? 
We're going to have a conversation when this is over with, sir. About what? Oh, you'll find out. You'll find out. Yeah. So we haven't even talked about the bad guy in this yet. Amazing. So they get to they get to Chloe. That dude was cool. Like he's mm-hmm. he's another one of those guys where you don't know his name because honestly, I looked him up and I can't even pronounce his name. The, no, I I did the same thing, and so I didn't even write it down because I knew I was going to fuck up the pronunciation. He was amazing. Palu Asbeck, maybe Pilo Pilu. But yeah, he's in. You you recognize him? He's in a lot of stuff. He's been in Game of Thrones. He was just in the new movie with. Uh, Stallone on Samaritan. He was the bad guy on that one. Also, he was in Uncharted, which is a newer movie. So, I mean, he's got a lot of roles, but yeah, he was great in that movie, you know, where they capture him and then he fights back and he's able to escape because, of course, this is after they find that the medicine stuff, whatever it was that did it have a name? The serum? They just called it the, the serum. And it was there. They were taking black tar from the pit at the bottom of this church. And then it was like they were refining it somehow and turning it into this this serum. They capture him, and he ends up escaping and shooting and killing one of the soldiers. And that's after Boyce had found the serum. And kind of, I wonder what was going through Boyce's head. He was like, should I do it? Because he's the only one who really knew about the serum because he went in and found it, you know. And the visuals on that was amazing, though, when he injected the guy and he comes back to life and... He becomes super strong immediately. You see the results of the serum. They were like, how do you feel? He's like, he's like, I feel great. Oh, yeah, I'm really thirsty. And then he's like, why is it so hot in here? And then, yeah, he starts flipping out. You see his veins. Like, you can see it running through his veins. And, and then he, like, pops his back or breaks his back or his neck. And it's all, oh. Yeah, it's like he went to kind of throw his neck to crack it. And it threw his head, like, all the way back. And his his uh, collarbones broke straight up, but not through the skin. And then he just cracked it back. And I saw that a lot of that, including a lot of the other effects in this, where they did do some CGI they had to. But a lot of that stuff was a lot of the stuff was practical effects, which I think gave it that really great, authentic looking natural feel. It looked real. And then it kind of goes to show like when they have to kill him, you know, they light him up, they shoot him, but he's still alive, you know, because they realize it's going too far. This guy's escalating to something they don't want to deal with. And so finally Boyce just bashes his fucking brains in with the end of his bayonet to the point where Wyatt Russell's character, who is no nonsense, I don't give a shit, we're staying on point on mission, he comes over and goes, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the sound during that, the sound of his wheezing when after they <laughs> shot him and he's dying, like in his wheeze. I, uh, the visuals are amazing, but that sound, just like, you know, working in healthcare, Jason, what it sounds like when somebody isn't moving air, they have like a collapsed lung, you know... They're just trying to comfort him. You know he's not going to live. He has a hole in his lung. He's not moving air. He's not coming. When they inject him and he like pops back up and they're like, how do you feel? I feel great. And he sticks his finger in the bullet hole wound. He's like, it doesn't even hurt. Like, don't even feel (laughs) it. You're like, oh. Visuals, special effects on this are amazing. When he goes down under the church the first time and he finds the serum, that stuff's flips the movie totally like you said halfway through it kind of flips but they did an amazing job on the special effects you can hate a lot about this movie say oh it's slow at the beginning or it's inaccurate you know history history wise but the special effects and the sound are top notch 
they try to bring a little humanity in the movie with like uh, Chloe's little kid. It's just this poor little kid stuck in wartime, just wanting to play play with somebody. Just shows like what he went through, and he was trying to be friends with that you know New York accent guy, and he was trying so hard, and then he ends up breaking him down in the end. And <laughs> there were there were a couple there were a couple of small uh, story arcs in there. That that being one of them, you know, or the other one about boys not being able to kill a mouse and you see that you know his story arc is he he really rises to the occasion and jumping ahead towards the end he kills the uh the nazi the lead the doctor there yeah what's he like she, chloe's like he just wants to play catch with you and the kid from new york's like get a pole cue and nine bucks and we'll talk <laughs> yeah right <laughs> he's like he don't play baseball he's gonna he's gonna pool shark him out of his nine dollars that scene you were talking about, though, Brian, where he goes, Boyce goes into the church, and it's kind of by accident. Wyatt Russell's character, Ford, Ford sends uh, Boyce out to go find the other two soldiers. He's sent out like on a on a recon mission or something, and he just kind of through circumstance finds himself in this truckload of dead bodies getting carted into church compound, which is occupied by Nazis, gated off, dogs, everything. That whole scene was amazing because. As he's going through the church and the different levels, it was just one thing after another where you got exposed to the, it was like going through like a haunted house, a house of horrors, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, very, very tense. Was he going to get caught? How he did not get seen was a miracle. Every twist and turn, there were people around in the corners and he was exposed to figuring out the mystery of what the hell was going on in there. But one of, one of the coolest parts in there was he came across the severed head of one of the the village women and she, it was still alive and she was speaking whatever she was saying in French probably help me or something like that you know and it reminded me of uh George Romero Day of the Dead there's a scene where I think it was Greg Nicotero when Greg Nicotero's character got killed in Day of the Dead it's re, uh revealed that his head is animated Dr. Frankenstein's got him going there I, I always wondered if that was like a nod to the movie Greg Nicotero was in Day of the Dead yeah he was one of the soldiers Oh, oh, yep, yep. I was, I was thinking Don. I'm like, what? <laughs> Didn't remember seeing him at all. Knowing Greg Nicotero, he was probably conceived on the the <laughs> set of Dawn of the Dead. So. Yeah. <laughs> we really don't see a lot of the zombies until we get to the end, like the effects of it, when they kind of unleash all the soldiers. The, we'll get to it so it doesn't, I don't know. We just don't see it too much. We just kind of see the effects like with one person. And then when, once we get to the end, we see like, what do they do? They open up or they open up the little cells where they're storing them or something. You kind of see that when Boyce goes in to save the soldier, they like inject him with the stuff and then they put him in like a little refrigerator or something until later. So I, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that where we would have seen more of the soldiers like hyped up on this stuff and what they would do. And I wonder if there would ever be a sequel. It was almost like the the zombies and the experiments. Like, yeah, I would have liked to see some more of that stuff too. Would it have been as horrific if it was exposed more visually? I don't know. But yeah, it was almost like it was a subplot. You know, the main story was this platoon taking out that tower, and then the relationship and between um, Nazi officer who gets his face blown off. The guy whose name we can't pronounce, and and Wyatt and Wyatt Russell, you know, th those are more predominant, definitely. That was great effect too when he got shot, because I I think I had looked away when he got shot in the face because it happened so quick, 
And then the next time I saw him, his face was all fucked up. I'm like, when did he get shot? So I had to rewind it like a couple of times. And I'm like, oh, because it was so quick. He was jumping in the car, looking back. And Wyatt Russell, or Ford, gets a shot off and hits him right in the jaw. That was pretty gnarly looking, though, once we see him again. So when they're like trying to. So after. Yeah. After the not or the head German soldier guy escapes, they use Chloe to kind of get another German soldier, help them get them inside. I was laughing about that scene because she's running and he's on a motorcycle chasing her. And that scene went on for like a whole minute. I'm like, he would have caught her in the first like five seconds. But I know she kind of dodges around, but like it just that's that's how it always is with the motorcycle chases when somebody's running. They have to like drag it on a little bit, even though they would have caught him immediately. Did you like that part where uh, she like punches the guy and he knocks her down and I don't know what he's going to do. Um, kill her. Or... I, I know. Yeah. He was going to rape her and kill her or kill her and rape her. One of the two. Yeah, And then uh, she kind of giggles and he gets knocked out and they tie him to the motorcycle. They tape his mouth closed, and for some odd reason, they see this motorcycle coming, they open the gate, and the guy's just yelling at him in German, and doesn't think anything weird's going on here. He's like a commanding officer. He had tape over his mouth, so they couldn't understand what he was saying, but no, I get it. They were like... Wouldn't you be like, hey, the guy that empties the trash, you go check it out. You know what I mean? Like, why would the commanding (laughs) officer, like, go up there, and and then, uh, that was a cool visual, too, where he pulls the pen and you hear it like you hear it clear as day when that metal Sing. and then as it pull back the thing and the dude's head just goes <laughs> just like boom <laughs> and then the rest explosion goes off but I, I love that part where his head just is like boom goes everywhere and then the big explosion comes i want to know how the grenade fit in his mouth well were they a lot smaller back then but <laughs> I, I don't know. Or he lost a couple teeth doing it. Yeah, maybe. He yeah. probably <laughs> lost a couple teeth, I'm sure. I'm sure that wasn't their main concern when they were putting it in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that explosion scene, things like that, the way they did that are what I've always viewed that makes it a little more graphic. Because you can have an explosion and your mind tells you, okay, a bunch of people just blew up. Or you take movies like this or they show you the explosion and then on top of the explosion, you see a couple burning bodies fly off and hit a wall and there's a big smack sound. Like it just, it's another layer of of the, the violence and the gore of it. So yeah, one of the things I also found as I was looking into this movie is a lot of people, like you said, threw it back to Reanimator, back to the Germans, back to even Wolfenstein. Remember that game Wolfenstein? Yeah, has the castle had layers and yeah, all the different stuff in the castle. They did a good job of pulling in a lot of the things that they knew people that enjoy these kind of movies would like. So I'm really surprised it didn't do better at the box office. Like you said, Clint, maybe it was a marketing thing that they just didn't market it well because it didn't make a lot of money. I don't know if you have the figures wrote down there, Clint, but it did not make double what its budget was no it didn't and i mean everybody's i guess idea of this may be different my rule of thumb is always as far as business and numbers is if you double your money then you're in a decent spot if you don't double your money then you might want to think about what you're doing and overlord it was released on november 9th 2018 by paramount that's who it was paramount and the film grossed 41 million against a budget of 38 million so it didn't make you know it didn't lose money but it sure in the hell didn't make a lot of money no, and it's funny you mentioned that because Amy Nicholson, who was uh, a writer for Variety, wrote, even at its most suspenseful, the Jed Kurzel's cello score stabs at the eardrums. Overlord feels familiar, 
a collage of cinematic nightmares checking off its influences, a woman wielding a flamethrower like Ripley and Aliens, a cruel SS officer, the terrible, hissable, the guy's name we can't pronounce, uh, who grins like a Batman villain, and even a Castle Wolfenstein video game that its fans may uh, find themselves reaching for controls out of habit while they're watching this movie. I thought it was a great quote, great little blurb. I had to put that in there. Well said. So yeah, like like you say, it for whatever reason, and I wonder if it's like what Brian Clark said, is it uh, was it poor marketing? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what came out around this time. You know, did something much larger come out or released the same time? Well, Halloween 2018 was 2018. I don't know the year. What Grinch? The Grinch. I think that maybe the live action Grinch was 2018 with Jim Carrey. That was way before 2018. You think? Way before 2018. Oh, this came out September 22nd of 2018. So Halloween Kills came out a few weeks after it. Or Halloween... 2018. Well, I saw the release, the wide release was US November night, which is around the same time. So I bet the Grinch was 99 or 2000. I'm going to say mid 2000s. Oh, the, the animated Grinch came out. No, oh, you can't compare that. It's not like everybody's like, oh, are we going to take the kids to go see Overlord or the new animated Grinch movie? You know, uh, I guess we better go to the Grinch movie. It was released alongside the Grinch and the girl in the spider's web, which I don't know what that is. But again, Halloween 2018 was playing right around that time, right? Yeah, it came out shortly after that. I don't know if Overlord got a wide release or if it was like a limited one at first or how all that worked. There was a lot of good 2018 movies, though, but I don't know exactly. This had the uh, the namesake behind it, too, because, I mean, the initial story for this film was conceived by J.J. Abrams, you know, who produced it. You know, it wasn't penned by him, but him and the screenwriter Billy Ray, you know, wrote the script. Well, here, uh, the movie Peppermint, The Nun, all came out in September of 2018. I'm just kind of rolling through and seeing those are two of the bigger ones. Yeah, but it didn't even really, it didn't even say Overlord, so I wonder if it was, I don't know, Wikipedia said September 22nd was the release, but I don't know if that was theatrical. Oh, Venom came out shortly after that. It came out in October. Halloween came out in October. I could see Venom outshadowing out it. Just more more of a mainstream mainstream feel to it. Well, regardless if it didn't perform that well financially at the box office, which did you ever notice that not only do we wind up talking about Christmas on this show a lot, I know I think right now is the first time this episode, but all the movies that we watch just don't seem to perform well at the box office. There's a running theme here. We need to change this from the I Like It. We need to change from the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast to the This Didn't Perform Well at the Box Office Podcast. But this film, this was this big chart I was showing you guys before uh, we hit the record button. It's it's got all these awards. It was nominated for the Best Horror Film and nominated for Best Makeup by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films USA. It was nominated for the Best Wide Release Film by um, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It was nominated for Best Makeup and Best Sci-Fi Horror Film, Hawaii Film Critic Society, and it won the Best Cinematographer and Best Sound Design in the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Not that those one, two, three, four organizations rule the world of popular opinion in film and cinema, even though this didn't perform on the box office, it was recognized as being great by a lot of people. And then even the old Rotten Tomato people, it's got an 82 82- yeah, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Surprises me. I thought it'd be closer to like 42%, but 
they like to surprise us over there, Rotten Tomatoes. So if, if you guys haven't seen, if people listen and haven't seen this film, there's a few reasons why you should check it out. Of course, the most important reason is that we are covering it here on the I Like a Spooky <laughs> Horror podcast. So it is now an instant classic. So why do you think, so getting to the end, why do you think after everything went down, why did Boyce not tell them when he was being asked about it? He was like, hey, if there was anything that you saw, we heard some rumors. Did you see anything weird? And he said, no, didn't see nothing. Why do you think he covered that up? He agreed completely with with what Ford said when Ford. Okay, so they go back into the church to blow up the tower and find Chloe's brother because, as the lead um, Nazi army guy, gotta keep messing up. <laughs> There's a technical term: the lead Nazi army guy. As he escapes uh, being captured by the American soldiers, he grabs Chloe's little brother, takes him to the church. So yeah, they all go to the church to blow it up, find the little brother. I'm kind of get off on a tangent. That to me was when I said this movie doesn't have an algorithm. It was chaotic. When it got to that point, I felt it had an algorithm then. It almost felt like I was watching a superhero flick at that time. Granted, it was dark and scary and gory, but it just you could kind of, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It got a little more predictable. So as the lead Nazi army guy leaves, he gets his face blown off. So when he gets back to the church, he injects himself with a bunch of the serum. He bonds with it and becomes this superhuman strength zombie monster guy. But he hasn't lost all his reason because the rest of them you see are just maniacal fucking creatures that just run into walls. And it winds up being a showdown between Ford, the Nazi army guy. And the Nazi army guy like hangs Ford on a hook. He's going to die. Ford gets himself off the hook, injects himself. So now you got these two super monsters fighting each other. They get ready to escape because Ford throws the Nazi guy into the big vat of oil. Ford and Boyce are running out of the chamber they're in. And Boyce goes first and Ford slams the gate, locks it, says, get out of here. Our side can't have this either. No one should have this power. So he just kind of went with him and. Yeah, and he was like, you need to go blow this tower up because we've got like 10 minutes before we're supposed to storm the beaches. And if this tower is not down, it's not going to happen. That still would have messed with me, though, because the guy, when he went back and he was like, oh, is there anything, you know, because we're going to be digging around in the rubble. We don't want to come on to any surprises or my guys would be exposed to. So I would kind of think about that, too. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't want them to find this. And I guess they would find out real quick. Maybe that would be the sequel. They're digging around in the rubble and somebody gets stuck with a needle. And they know something's up. What I want to know, the only question that I didn't have answered in this film was, well, I guess there's two. It's kind of a two-parter. One, how did, why did the, the French people, that, that village and that church have been there forever? You know what I mean? Did they just always have this chamber of this open vat of oil that turned into reanimated goo and they kept it a secret? You know, were they like the protectors of the evil or did they not know it was there and regardless, how the fuck did the Nazis know it was there? How did they discover it? I'd almost like to see a prequel as opposed to a sequel. There, There's a story to be exposed. Like, how did this all come to be? I think at one point during the movie, the Nazi commander or whatever he is, says that they were sitting on this gold mine or river of... Untapped power, unbridled power or whatever, yeah. They didn't even know it that they've been sitting on it. Yeah, who knows? I could see that they would go in and stumble upon it somehow, build that part of the church. Because it doesn't look like that was maybe there as part of the church. You know, they maybe added it. 
but yeah, a prequel would be cool too to see like what happened and what led to that. I'd love to see a prequel, but looking at the numbers, we'll probably never see it. I like the words you use though, commander. Commander sounds way better than Nazi lead army guy. So I was reading too that um that Wyatt Russell, while he was filming this, again he played Ford, the explosive guy, that he had mono throughout the filming of this. Which I I always noticed. I was like, oh, he's a really good actor because he just looks exhausted, you know. And I was like, oh, that's really good makeup, you know. Or he's playing this very war weary, cynical to the point character. But I'm like, oh, the dude had mono, so that probably helped. He just dragged his ass to work every day. So nope, I don't need any makeup. What are my lines? Let's go talk about a character actor. There's one more thing. There's one more thing I really want to say about this movie, and it's the thing that I disliked about this movie the most was the very ending, and here's why. <clears throat> it ended with rap music. I don't hate rap music. I'm not the biggest rap rap fan, but I don't hate music, rap music. But it completely did not fit this film. Whether you're trying to be historically accurate or not, it, it was like oil and water. And to me, when you, the end of a movie, the music you play at the end kind of leaves you with that whatever feeling you want to be. You know, the, the imprint that film's going to leave in you is summed up in that that end music and so it was great you know the survivors were enjoying the planes were flying in the beaches were getting stormed you knew that you know the american the allied forces are going to win and then they played this out of place rap music hated it hated it i caught myself like oh this is but yeah it it's totally out of context for this movie so i just caught myself walking out of the room the last couple of times i've watched it just because it instantly transported me out of that world. Oh, for sure, yeah. You wanted like some uh, 50s swing band music, like some uh, No, absolutely. I wanted band music or something. Yeah, something that even better if it like went to the news, like some old-fashioned news that talked about Yes. Allied forces stormed the beach at Normandy today. Something like that would have been such a better fit. And then you get to the credits. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah, you get past that and then you get to like your rolling credits and you play something like that, you know, which is fine. It's That would have brought brought it full circle also. And I love full circle. It started with the, the radio news snippets and it would end with the radio news snippets. That would have been, that would have been great. But that's probably my biggest complaint about this film though. So what do you think on ratings, guys? Who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. I always like to follow Jason. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a. Uh, I'm gonna give it a seven. Grenades and mouth soldiers. That and it was. It was a good movie. It was. I don't know what I would have rated like Halloween 2018. Because of course I liked it way more. Surprise. No, it was a. It was a good overall movie. I enjoyed it. I will go back and watch it again. It's definitely one I would recommend to people. And seven's a good number. This is you bring up Halloween 2018, and this is one of those films where I don't think you can necessarily compare. It's such a stark contrast to a slasher like that, where you can't Halloween 2018 was better, or Overlord was better, or you know, because they're just two different freaking worlds. So seven's right about where I'd rate it. I was back and forth between seven or eight. Um, I'm gonna go with eight. I'm gonna go with eight. Herbert West wannabes. Herbert West from Reanimator. Same thing. Great film. I didn't care about the the slight historical inaccuracies. I love the fact that even though I've seen it a few times, I still was kind of like, what the hell is going to happen? It didn't follow a pattern. It had mainstream appeal. The sound design was great. The gore was great. 
it just ended on that stupid rap song. <laughs> Ryan, what do you think? So I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it an eight. Also, eight out of ten. I had a blast watching it with Jack in the theater. I've enjoyed watching it the last couple times. Is it one of those movies that you put on Clint when the D-Day invasion's happening every year? Like we usually talk about those kind of movies that you watch because it happened on this date. Is this one of those movies that you put on every year when the D-Day invasion's happening? I don't think so. And here, here's why I think, because I think on something like that, or like today is the day we're recording this right now. Today, it's 9-11 right now when we're recording this. So 9-11, that's a serious deal. The actual D-Day invasion was a, a serious deal. And so although I enjoy this movie, I think if you're going to watch a film on a day like that on something as somber and serious, then it would have to be more of a serious film like Saving Private Ryan, you know, for example, or something like that for for a d-day reunion film over overlord doesn't make fun of this or anything like that but it's it's more of a romanticized you know nightmare fuel dramatization of what might have happened during that time i don't think it really pays homage to what really went down that time so i'm gonna go like i said eight out of ten nazi army people in charge like clint said you know nazi army people that are in charge lead lead army nazi guy Eight out of ten lead army Nazi guys. That's a whole lot of lead army Nazi guys. They just needed the one guy whose name we can't pronounce because he was badass. Well, now that we've covered the movie, given our ratings, uh, we have a question again this week, this episode. So we have a question from Sarah, a fan from the Baltimore, Maryland area. And she asks, what non-horror movie that scared you as a child? What was it? What non horror movie scared you as a child she says return of oz fucked me up for years but i couldn't stop watching it what you got got anything jason nothing i can think of i don't know what do you, you guys got anything clint does i can tell by the look in his eyes <laughs> yeah i'm like ooh, ooh, i can't wait to tell this because just like i said i like to bring things full circle and so sarah's question actually partially inspired my little surprise or secret about me at the beginning of this episode. Although I was going to say that for the last episode when we covered dead silence, but I went with silent Bob from a parallel universe. Sarah's question made me think of that about the dolls because it was around the same time. I'm kind of cheating, but the original ghostbusters, which isn't a horror film. When I first saw that the librarian in that movie and the opening of that film scared the ever living shit out of me. <laughs> and I remember I had this, do you remember, um, in, in the 80s like that, after a, a big film would come out, and then they'd have these real small condensed picture books for kids. It was like 12 pages, and it was kind of a summary of the story, and they'd have pictures from the movie. Did you guys ever have those? I had one of that, and like the first couple pages was this giant picture of the librarian from Ghostbusters when she turns into like the crazy ghost demon lady. And my aunt, who is about 10 years older than me, she was kind of like a big sister because we were close in age. She would fucking terrorize me with that book and run around and shove it in my face. And like, I remember at one point she shoved me underneath the couch cushion and with that on my face and then sat on me so I couldn't get up, which led me to surrounding my bed with all my stuffed animals to protect me from the evil, scary librarian lady and the creepy guy who lived in my attic who I heard every night. Who was that, your uncle? <laughs> I don't know, but I heard him. I don't know if he still lives up there or not. The only way to get to the attic was through my room. It was fucking scary. So, yeah, I don't probably 
Charlie, was it Willy Wonka in the fact, Chocolate Factory? Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I argue all the time that that's a horror film. Yep. Well, I mean, you're young when you watch it, and it's all these kids just getting killed. They're being, you know, whether it's an accident or, I mean, is it really an accident? The kid falls in the Chocolate River, and they could have saved him. They're just like, nah, he'll be all right. <laughs> the girl falls down in the, trying to get a golden egg, and she goes down into the trash, and it's happens to be the day that they burn the trash. You know, they could have went and got her, you know, and they go on the... And then no one gives a shit. They just move on, and, and after every death, a bunch of little people with different colored hair come out, do cartwheels, and celebrate it. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> In Pee-wee's Big Adventure, like, how scary is it going back? And it's like, you're a kid, your best friend's your bicycle, and it gets stolen, and then you have to try to find it. And then, uh, you know, Large Marge with the, tell them Large Marge say in, like, the eyes pop out. I was so happy I had thought of one while you guys were talking, and that was the one I thought about. <laughs> It's crazy, too. Like, we watched it a couple weeks ago. Like, an overly dark movie. Supposed to be a kid's... I don't know if it's supposed to be a kid's movie, but, I mean, it's... I don't know that there's many adults going around watching it nowadays, but there's a lot of little sprinkles throughout childhood. The Wizard of Oz, um, Return to Oz. Oh, what's that one? Never-ending story. Then there was a... What was the other one? The other Disney one with the puppets. With the, oh, Dark Crystal. Uh, yeah, the Dark Crystal. That's creepy as all get out. Like, there's a lot of them. Did Disney do that? Or I think that was Jim Henson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was Jim Henson, which is... In cahoots or whatever. But Now it's Disney. He, he, they own all the rights to everything. So, yeah. Yeah, Jim Henson did that one. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you look back. The Witches was a Disney one, right? Or was that another Jim Henson one? I think that was Disney. Yeah, I yeah, when they, Yeah, when they are at the meeting... All the witches are at the meeting, and they take their, like, human faces off, and they all are nasty-looking witches. I came across this, this um, I think it was a TikTok video. It was, on, it was on my Facebook feed or something. And there's this lady who records herself as two different people, you know, almost like her different personalities, talks through nursery rhymes. Even stuff, simple stuff like Jack and Joe went up the hill. And so like her one persona like sings like a child, Jack and Joe went up the hill all happy. And then it cuts to the other one. And her, you know it's almost like the adult personality. Like, oh, you think that's a good song? You, you know what that's about, right? Well, yeah, it's about Jack and Jill going up a hill. Well, who was Jack and who was Jill? You know, and so she like does these and um, exposes that all of these nursery rhymes are actually about these dark, crazy events that happened in history. Childhood was dark, and I want to thank Sarah for making us relive that. Um, that's thanks, Sarah. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. I don't have any. St oh wait, you know what though? Hey, I don't have stuffed animals to light my bed anymore, but I got a shit ton of scary looking action figures. I just upped my protection game. You just put your your wife on the side that the thing's gonna come get you. Hey, we're switching sides tonight, Melissa. Get over there. I'm sleeping in the middle. <laughs> She'll protect you. <laughs> Hey, so I got a I got a little side story on Sarah since she asked us a question and brought this up. I was talking with her on Instagram. It was earlier this week or late last week. A few episodes ago, we uh, were doing a news segment. I don't remember which episode it was, and I touched about the movie Allegoria was coming out. Rob Zombie's brother Spider One and is like his directorial debut. Which did did you guys happen to watch that? No, not yet. No. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't the best thing I've ever seen, but I enjoyed it. It almost had this anthology feel to it. It's still on Shutter. You get a chance to check it out. Well, Sarah watched it, and she loved it. 
And so she commented on Instagram, watching Algoria, I love this movie or something like that. And so Spider One actually, you know, responded and gave her the little fire emoji and oh nice. She shared it on a story and, and he shared it to his story or something. And so she sends me a message. She was like, Oh my God. She was like, 10 year old me is screaming. And I'm like, oh my God, 44 year old me is screaming, you know. <laughs> so I don't know if she watched the film because we mentioned it on the show. She probably would have came across it on her own, I'm guessing. I just wanted to bring that up. I told her, I, I was like, I got to share this. It's so cool. And I love seeing when um, filmmakers or celebrities or you know people outside of the, just the general public who consume this stuff interact with their fans like that. It's a, it's a super cool moment. Yeah, Sarah's my uh, John Waters fan. She pushes John Waters movies on me. She's like, here, watch this. Here, watch this. So did she get you to watch Cecil B. Demented yet? No, not yet. It's on my list. You're killing me. I'll get there eventually. It's a rainy Sunday, man. Just go ahead and watch it when we get done talking here. I'll get a couple movies in today, hopefully. Jason was going to watch football, but hey, man, Cecil B. Demented has boobs. You could watch that instead. <laughs> you could watch both. Well, since it's a rainy Sunday and no one can be outside enjoying mowing or you know cooking out or any of that good stuff, and you have all day to do whatever you want, you should hop over to the PFPN and give one of the amazing podcasts on that network a listen. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Who the fuck enjoys mowing the lawn, Brian? What are you talking about? Right, right. Only him. No, I think there's people that do. I'm not one of them. Watch when this episode comes out, it's going to be like 85 and people are going to be like in their pools. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think about that. What the fuck are they talking about? It's beautiful out. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, what do you got going on, Jason? Same as the last couple episodes. Not much going on. Uh, yeah, not much. We'll be going into spooky season. I guess we got the drive-in coming up shortly after that. So Justin Beam is putting on um, a drive-in on the 61 drive-in in Makokota. That'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to going, meeting up with a lot of people from around here that are into this and our usual crew that we kind of see at these events and hang out with. So that's coming. Joe Bob's coming a couple weeks after that. I know Brian will talk more about that, but... No cons for me. Just excited to get into spooky season. See if I can make it through my 31 days of horror, like watching a movie every day in October, which I've never, ever done before. I've tried to, but always by like the third or fourth day, I miss a movie and it's and it's crap. That's it for me. What about you guys? If you just make the movie Halloween, you'll, you're guaranteed to watch it. Every day. Here we go. Brian, what do you got going on? So, yeah, we have the uh, 61 drive-in. Coming up on October 1st. It's a Saturday. It's actually in Delmar, Iowa, that's close to Makokota. Um, our friend Justin Beam, they'll be showing Alligator and the Monster Squad. So I've never seen Alligator before. Monster Squad's always a great time. That's one of those 
it's the first movie. So if you have kids and you don't want to stay the whole time, you bring them out. You watch Monster Squad. You head home. It's still early. It's a great movie for kids. Um, and then the next week, uh, we have Halloween Palooza. So that'll be before our next episode drops. That's uh, October 7th and 8th, Ottumwa, Iowa. The Spooky Boys will be doing a live podcast on stream there. So we'll be recording live in front of an audience for the first time. Sounds like we're going to cover some Grindhouse trailers, kind of talk about them as, as they happen, make fun of them, laugh. Probably want to go. I'll probably want to go back and watch the movies that are in the trailers, and Jason will be like, no, I'm good. So we'll have that coming up. Um, the Orpheum Theater here in Galesburg is starting their October movies. It actually starts on September 30th with the original Wolfman. So I will hopefully take Little Miss with me to see the Wolfman because last night we went down to the Orpheum, did a little video that we posted on the YouTube channel, and we howled at the moon because it was a full moon last night. So uh, check out the Orpheum Theater their Facebook, their Instagram, their Twitter. They're all over. I've shared the links on the podcast websites. Check out their movies. Should be a fun time. Free admission, as always, at the Orpheum for these kind of events. And they show at 8 o'clock. So that'll all be starting. We'll share the information about the drive-in that Justin Beam's putting on. That's about all I got going on. What about you, Clint? Well, before he goes, I take it back. I've got all that stuff going on, too. So thank you, Brian, for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> Uh, I can't. I can't follow that. Oh, man. You guys make it. You guys make it tough. So it's um, kind of ditto for me as well. There we go. We're done. There it is. By the time this uh, by the time this episode comes out, I finished up with uh, a one day show here in Michigan, Hearst Fest. Uh, the week after that, a one day show here in Michigan, the Haunted Yard Sale, and uh, gearing up to go to Halloween Palooza as well. Looking forward to being live with you guys, hanging out with Justin Beam, hanging out with all of our PFPM people and selling some t-shirts and some other stuff and checking out the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I might I might step up with the uh, the trivia there with Insane Mike and see if I can you know put him to shame. Although I told those guys, I was like, my ego tells me I'll crush this competition. <laughs> my realistic side says that I'll be up there going, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. The only other thing I got going on, I can't tell you about. I'm working on something potentially big, and there's no way in hell I can tell you about it. I hope that I can soon. And then other than that, um, I know this competition has been getting a lot of hate. I could probably do a whole episode discussing the ins and out of this competition. But regardless, I am currently, as of this recording, in the Face of Horror competition. If you get a chance, you can hop on uh, my Facebook which is uh, what facebook.com slash corpse barn, C-O-R-P-S-E-B-A-R-N. Give me a one, one free daily vote. And there's a bunch of different, um, like September 15th, there's a, a cutoff round. And then it kind of goes in these different cutoff rounds to see if I can progress. Hoping to win that. That'd be pretty cool. I can get some cash. Photo shoot with Kane Hodder in Rue Morgue Magazine. A walk-on part in an indie film. And, you know, some other perks. So that is... What I got going on right now. Check with me in a couple of days, though. It might change everything. <laughs> you never know. So that sounds like everything from us here at the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. Check us out on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I like it underscore spooky on Twitter. Hey, I got it right that time. That's two times in a row, man. I've been practicing. I got it wrong last episode, but I edited it out when I said it wrong. So it sounded like I got it right. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah. So check us out on our socials. 
Hope to see a lot of you guys soon with spooky season starting. Hope you guys have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> the first thing we got when we got off the boat was a speech of welcome, which told us briefly and unequivocally why we're here. We're here to invade the continent. All of the turmoil, struggle, and sacrifice of the past two years has brought the United States to the brink of a decisive moment in history. At first, reluctant to fight, the country is now poised for the final assault on Hitler's fascist empire. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?